The views and opinions of this podcast in no way reflect those of American Football Ireland. Once again, it's just a bunch of crack. So lads, no giving out. Still, we couldn't entice them to come to the lovely county that is Monaghan. I mean, can you blame me, really? No, I cannot. Joe really hasn't had a successful life here when he came to Monaghan. I've been to Monaghan once in the last 365 days, and it was once too many. So (laughs) You were well fed. We gave you tacos. (laughs) But yeah, so since we were last chatting, we've had actually quite a few upsets across American Football Ireland. Yeah, I think, like, really, if we want to get into it, the biggest upset is the fact that the Trojans still haven't got a win. No, they haven't got a win. Although, I do think that we that's something that we can look at because it's very, very easy to be like, oh, the Trojans haven't won. And again, it's easy to write them off and to say that they're having a losing season or whatever. But, like, let's look at the three teams that they've played and where they've played. So they've started their season after the COVID break with three Dublin teams. They're the three top teams at the minute, according to every power ranking. And they've played them in Dublin each time. So they've had like a murderous start to their their season. Wait, Kelly, you mean there's more than just our own power ranking? (laughs) We'll neither confirm nor deny the existence of other power rankings across AFI. Oh, wow. That's that's news to me. Nicely done, nicely, nicely done. But yeah, it's a it's a murderous start. I mean, you could actually argue that the Trojans have had the hardest schedule up to date because not only have they met the three toughest teams, like that, have, the three teams that at this moment look to be the toughest teams to encounter, but they've also met them on the road in Dublin. So quite a difficult start for them. I think the remainder of their season is looking a little bit easier. Yeah, like we were talking about this like in the last episode, we kind of put this as like a make or break game for Big T. Um, in the end, they broke. Like Dublin Rebels are just being absolute powerhouse at the minute. It's hard to see anyone stopping them. The only one at this point of the season that could stop them is UCD. Trojans, like they have been depleted for numbers. They've had quite a few injuries on offense, quite a few injuries on defense, and just really the the replacements that have been brought in really seem to lack an understanding of the playbook you know blown assignments different things like that it's an uphill struggle to get any further further up the the league table for them but like exactly like you say they have probably had the hardest start to schedule if we're like talking about every team who they've had to play against so hopefully on the in the back end of the year the games you know they still have to play the likes of the knights the rhinos it's more an easier not to be disrespectful but from looking at how everything's been going so far it's a not as strong as end of season schedule as they've had to start with so a couple of w's should be coming their way uh, 
but like like we've seen throughout like a lot of the games this year you know it's anyone's to tell like it could go either way for anyone yeah yeah and so just to um give context to what we're saying that the last game the rebels and the trojans in dublin finished rebels 38 trojans 6 um i think that one touchdown for the trojans coming from jonah siri there who's just one of those like elite level players that you can put on nearly against any team he's going to come out with a few scores or at least a fantastic performance i think um even his first game where the trojans really struggled um he came out with something like 200 rushing yards something like that that was reported he's just absolutely absolutely a ridiculous player for them in saying that I was chatting with some of the Rebels um, defensive players namely like uh, Dylan Paisley and he was saying that he was getting busted by by Siri in the flats all day long but there's something you're doing something right if you're hitting Siri in the flats on defence do you know what I mean even if he is pounding you or something like that it's still I mean you're hitting your assignments the Rebels defence seems to be as strong as their offence yeah, and I think you can see that with with the they've only conceded thirteen points in four games. Like it's now again, uh, it's kind of the opposite of um, the Trojans, where you could kind of say, well, their level of competition maybe isn't or hasn't been too strong. I mean, they've played the Rhinos, um, they've played the Knights, they've played the Trojans, and they've played the Admirals. So like, all four of those teams are in the bottom half of the table. So it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of say again same with the Trojans it's hard to kind of say well this is how their season's going to go up they're going to win and they're going to win every game by thirty points it's like you kind of have to measure their level of competition a little bit um, but at the same time again they've been blown through opponents so far and they've built the momentum to where now now they can say well why can't we beat the why can't we beat the uh, Panthers why can't we beat UCD and then for the Trojans it's kind of the opposite where like they've they've lost fair enough to these really tough teams top three teams in the country and you're playing Craig Avon next and you know they've won two games and if you lose that game it's really <laughs> it's an uphill battle from there like to try and get into the playoffs yeah because they're already 0-3 yeah exactly no they're really I mean the, the Cowboys game they'll be certainly trying to get a win at that because their season isn't over that's the thing like the Trojans can still make playoffs as it stands and they're probably probably are feeling like the worst of their season is behind them and the Cowboys are kind of suffering at the minute because they had that that one loss mm. um, against against the Rhinos the Rhinos who would have guessed it no, before the Rhinos, they had lost against... UCD. Yes, they lost against UCD. And then since then, they haven't really seemed to recover, you know, because they're after losing now out to the Rhinos, which I think was a huge upset. But even before we move on from that, I also want to talk about the Rebels offense, which is something that I'm really enjoying personally, because we saw the emergence of the wide receiver, Greg Johnson, who's like this mad deep threat, like over the top, scored like three touchdowns. Uh, I think that was against the Knights. And he's now out due to injury and struggling with that. So hopefully he gets back to full health. In the absence of him playing, we're also seeing the emergence of um, Sunshine 20, Dave King, who we had spotted at the flag um, last year. And um, in the last game against the Trojans, he just went off. He got like three touchdowns against them. What I really enjoy about Dave King and the Ty Henry relationship is what we saw from them in flag. So let's say Ty Henry, he is their QB. We've gassed on about him a good bit, but he's also the offensive coordinator. And what I saw with the Rebels, and I think you'd agree with me as well, um, Rob. Big brother, little brother kind of relationship that they appear to have. You know, you've got Ty there being the, like, he's the same age as myself, so I'm not going to say older guy, but the more <laughs> experienced guy. 
and then you've got you know Sunshine Twenty, the the young guy who's came up through their youth academy, who's still like learning the ropes out there receiving. Ty is excellent at sort of commanding respect and you know nearly telling his players where he wants them to be. I think his experience and like being American has helped helped him in that so much. And that the players, especially the younger ones, really do listen to them. If you know, if Ty tells you to run a five and in, you run a five and in. If Ty tells you to go deep, you go deep. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't have said it better actually, and that's exactly what I was what I was um, getting at because I did see during the flag Ty, uh, Ty Henry having a word with some of his younger players because you know they're young they're fiery they've so much raw talent so much potential and he's kind of helping them to turn that raw talent into like achieved potential and you have to be disciplined in order to do that let's not get it like let's not like get it wrong like he absolutely ate a few of them out of it yeah but not without care and i liked that he's very straight down the line with them and he will call them out and he will say what they're doing what they need to do better but he does it in such a caring way from what I could see anyway, and I'm not surprised that we're seeing kind of the fruits of that labour uh, coming out on the pitch, not just with the likes of Greg Johnson, but also then Sunshine 20. Um, please God, the players that are playing there now are going to remain healthy, but it's one of those that it see this team has a depth of roster, like a depth of like healthy, talented players that are emerging. And if one unfortunately has to sit out a game, there's another one that's there to kind of fill in in those in those shoes. And it's just it's it's amazing. It's great to see. On the other hand, we see the likes of let's say the Panthers, who are having you know a dream start to their season, and we're a wee bit concerned in terms of the health of that roster. Uh, I think they've made some very smart decisions. They rested a lot of their um, on other players against the Rhinos. I think that game kind of came a bit closer, particularly at halftime, where I think it was only three uh, zero, and that um, that three coming from Ryan Eccles, who scored their field goal um, for them. That the kind of the depth of their roster uh, is yet to be kind of discerned. I feel. Yeah, like, you know, you could just look at the final scores and make, like, your assumptions on the game. But, like, once you actually delve deeper into them and, you know, you see how things played out throughout the game, you actually get a full insight and full knowledgeable, like, overview of what happened throughout the different games. Like you said, you know, you could look at the Panthers-Rhinos game being like, oh, 17-0 to the Panthers, there's another Panthers win. But you're you're looking in deeper. You're looking right. They're only three up at halftime. You're looking at the struggles that they've had and keeping players healthy, keeping players fit. They're looking at how they've had to rest players for that game. You know, if you're going to say that, oh, that was such a tight game between the two teams. Well, on on final reflection, the score was seventeen. Nothing is never a tight game. But when you're ranking one team so much higher than the other, you're going to be like, yeah, seventeen nothing isn't a great victory. You would expect the Panthers to have like put up thirty or forty points, but you're not putting up thirty or forty points when you're missing three or four key players, resting, you know, another two or three, that kind of way. And if we look at that, it was kind of two things happening on either side of the ball. So, for example, Ben Arugula. Ben, say that. Ben Aruglan. Ben Aruglan was uh, resting for that for that game. Now he says his uh, hamstring is at about eighty five percent now. So he 
maybe could have played in that game but decided not to because he tweaked it in the previous game and continued to play and therein lies the issue so I think that that was a wise decision but without Ben the Panthers kind of struggled to get like a run game going I know that Ian Cal had a few QB sneaks and a few runs himself which kind of kept the um, the wide receiver is just a little bit more open uh, than if he hadn't chosen to do that. But on the flip side of that, the Rhinos, because I caught up with them after their most recent game against the Cowboys, where they, they beat the Cowboys, and I asked them, you know, what's the difference between this Cowboys game and the previous Cowboy game, Cowboys game where they had lost something like I think it was 35-6 and nearly flipped that score in this most recent game? And they had said that they'd started to feel that things had really come together for them, particularly on defense against the Panthers, and that it's just a case of continuing to build on that. So kind of have to respect what the Rhinos are doing, that they seem to be improving as this season is going on. I know that I didn't rate them uh, at the start of the season, throughout the season, and they kind of have proven me wrong. I have to give them due credit for them to come out of uh, the game of the Panthers, really feeling that they have started to build on something and then go back into Cowboys, a game that they had lost significantly and come out with that win. Like I respect that attitude. Yeah, like I, I don't think really anyone was like I think the sort of the rhinos coming into the season were, like how are they there was kind of the attitude from most people around the league like looking into, um and the start of the season everyone was like oh yep there they are getting hammered, then they come out and like we we know the cowboys they're they're hard hitting team they're a good team, um they they were on the back of their last game getting really hockey by UCD and then the Rhinos go like at this point of the season coming off the amount of losses that they've had it can be very disheartening for a team even to get get numbers to train even to get numbers to game day and to actually like get rolling so the fact that they actually came in and put up points it is at home like Castlenock it's it's a tough place to go and play anyone who's played there you all know that they take you down to like the third choice pitch down the back uh not great but you know you may do it's it's a hostile environment to go into so i'm I'm looking forward to them i i really hope that this is you know something from the rhinos that they can actually like build on and like just not a bit of a dead cat bounce Yes, Rob, absolutely agree with you. And I suppose the two things that I wanted to mention on that game between the Rhinos and the Cowboys, firstly, the emergence of the running back for the Rhinos, uh, Rodrigo Nieto, Nieto, um, I've probably done a terrible job of pronouncing that, but N-I-E-T-O. But anyway, he's from Mexico and he used to play O-line in high school. And I think he scored twice throughout the game. Uh, I'm not sure if it was two touchdowns or a touchdown and one Russian two-point conversion. Joe? Uh, Nieto scored, I think, yeah, once. Um, yeah, he scored one touchdown and got the two points, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, one touchdown and one two-point conversion. Um, so their running game is really starting to come on. Now, that name sounds familiar, Kelly. Like, has he always been a rhino? No, he wasn't actually always with the Rhinos. He was originally with the North Dublin Pirates. And uh, I'm not sure where he was playing with them, but he was playing O-line when he was in high school in Mexico. But by all accounts from the Rhinos, he's quite a versatile player and great attitude and happy enough to play where, wherever they want him to be. So he's in at running back for them um, currently. So he's left the Pirates. So you could kind of say that he's 
jumped ship. <laughs> Whenever we get a pun, I just like look at Joe's face because I enjoy how much Joe hates puns. Can we, can we get rid of this man? <laughs> just like hates them. Five, five likes and I'll hit Robbie. <laughs> then the other point that I had on that Cowboys game and just kind of focusing in on the, the final score of the game, because um, sure, you know how I like to really focus in on, on those final scores. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Peter Nochran had was involved on every single score that the Cowboys had that day. So whether it was that he was rushing in himself or passing it to Luis Alberto, Luis uh, Alberto accounted for two receiving touchdowns from him on the day. And I think that we can kind of confidently enough say that Luis Alberto is the number one uh, target in the the Cowboys camp. And I'm aware that we've kind of gassed on about Peter Lochran a good bit on this podcast already. It's kind of like a, a Peter Lochran fan podcast at this stage. But again, I just think it's a lovely, another lovely illustration of um, of his ability as a player and uh, his ability to kind of lead an offense, uh, particularly in a game that's uh, over back, over back, uh, before the Rhinos just kind of ran away with it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, well, I know there was... Um uh, from those in attendance at the game, I know there was a, a bit of an issue with um, uh, the ruling on a few plays. Um, basically, re- uh, resulted in turnovers in favour of the Rhinos. I know there was um, um, a couple like jet pop passes. I know the Cowboys were down um, their running back, um, so they're running a lot of kind of uh, jet sweeps and stuff like that. Um, those who were there were saying that uh, the pot, they were using more as pop passes so if it was a forward pass it should fall as an incomplete pass if the receiver didn't catch it um, I've been told that there were two of those ruled as fumbles even though there were forward passes so a bit of controversy there with, uh, with the refs potentially um, I don't know if there's been anything official gone in for that or not but um, um, but yeah I mean look at the end of the day the, the the calls are made by the refs and, and the teams have to react to them and the Rhinos reacted well um, they, as you said they, they scored two late two late scores got themselves ahead by two scores and it's, it's hard to come back when you're when you're down late in the fourth by, by, by 12 points it's just you know you can have Peter Lockering back there all you want but it's just not um, you know sometimes calls don't go your way and, and it's just it's hard to kind of combat that and come back out of it but I don't think this reflects the, the Cowboys too much I mean obviously you know it doesn't look good on paper um, and I'm sure they'll be kicking themselves over a lost uh, you know a lost opportunity there to put themselves into really good playoff you know nearly seal themselves in a playoff position yeah. but I'm sure like that, that Trojans Cowboys game at the end of the month will be really really fun because you've got a team that's looking to bounce back after two really bad results um, versus a team who needs to win to stay in playoff contention. Because I think, um, now obviously I don't know off the top of my head, I haven't written out every um, scenario or whatever, I'm not quite that far into the season yet. But um, I think if the Trojans lose, if the Cowboys beat the Trojans, I don't think the Trojans can make the playoffs because they won't have any head-to-head um any head-to-head advantage over the Cowboys, Panthers, UCD or Rebels. Yeah. The highest uh, record they could get is 4-4 four and four then. So I think this is like, I think every game from now for the Trojans is a must-win, not just like figuratively, but literally. So I think the Cowboys will be looking at that and they'll be thinking, okay, well, they're going to be going with this for 120%. We need to be pushing on and putting in a performance of a lifetime, really. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's do or die for them, really, and and that's exciting. And uh, I think that the Cowboys are also meeting the Admirals soon yes. enough, and that kind of naturally, like naturally, brings us to the uh, UCD Admirals game just gone. And I think that that's an interesting one because the Admirals still looking to score a point this season. Uh, which is a bit of a shock to be honest because I know that we've kind of gassed on a bit about how great the quarterbacks are in Cork and um, Stephen Hayes is the name of the of the starting QB in Cork and he's also the starting QB for the Wolfhounds um, but again he, I mean he hasn't scored yet this season and you know it's kind of one of those that if you are the coaching staff of the Wolfhounds like it's a bit uncomfortable like and at what point does it get a bit difficult to justify your QB selection when you know your QB isn't scoring for his club within the regular season so you know it's a bit of an uncomfortable zero sitting there for the Cork offense and then you know kind of on the flip side of that you have some offenses that are just kind of rolling over teams at the minute and namely again it's kind of the, the Rebels and UCD and interestingly both of them putting up the same score against the, the Cork defense uh, 20 zero again going back to the the final scores which you know I love but um I caught up with the UCD players anyway um after that game and what they felt that they had experienced against Cork was kind of this um duality let's say uh whereby they felt that let's say the the pass offense in particular was one of the worst pass offenses that they've come up against it was quite easy to defend they said that the kind of Cork nearly bet themselves in that regard there's an awful lot of drop balls but on the other side of the ball then they felt that the defence that they came up against was certainly the best defence that they have experienced in the league so far not really a huge uh, shock that because Cork have traditionally had the strongest defence in the league led by let's say Brendan Kelleher there um, part of their coaching staff and Brendan Kelleher is also the defensive coordinator for the Wolfhounds and very widely regarded as um, the best kind of defensive coordinator in the league like very well respected so really not a shock that they're strong on on defense but yeah going back to that uh, pass offense and um, just kind of how weak it seems to be it's kind of difficult to predict how Cork is going to proceed from here. I mean, I think they need to go back just to simple reps and simple routes and simple passes and stuff like this and kind of just get the fundamentals right because, you know, it's nothing special or particularly insightful to say, but your offense needs to score. That's the offense's job, you know what I mean? Like the offense kind of needs to score at least once and it's next to impossible to actually win games if your offense isn't capable of scoring. And uh, I mean, that's just... It's just basic math. So it, it will be interesting to see, you know, how they match up against Cowboys because um, it'll be interesting to see how the, you know, Cowboys pass offense, you know, Peter Lochran, Neil Maxwell, Lewis Alberto there uh, play out against the the Admiral's defense because by all accounts, the Admiral's defense is incredibly difficult to score against. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen that from the Rebels. And like, again, they've played Rebels in UCD and, you know, you're talking two high-powered offenses that could only score 20 points. No, I shouldn't say only 20 points. At the end of the day, they scored 20 points and it was enough to win. But, you know, you're seeing the Rebels put 38 on the Trojans, uh, like UCD put 44 on the Cowboys. And, you know, those are two teams that I would have said historically would have had very good defences as well. But So I think it does lend to them in the future, you know, that they can keep that rolling. Um, 
I think Cork will get it going eventually. It's just a case of they need one good game on offense and that momentum then they'll carry that forward for the rest of the year. I think if you if you start with a good defense, um it usually finishes that way in the season as well. Yeah. I know on offense you just need a couple of lucky breaks and all of a sudden you're you're riding high. So um I wouldn't you know, they haven't scored a point, fair enough. Um I'd expect them to to kick on later in the season and uh put it up some, to some tough teams then later down the line yeah yeah so still remaining with the Admirals they come up against the Panthers on the uh, 1st of May the 15th oh is it the 15th well it's going to be hard for the 1st of May when we're recording on the 6th <laughs> yeah yeah true true good insight there Joe good man uh, that's what I'm here for uh, no like, like you said like okay Admirals have lost two games but against like the 1 and 2 seed in the division at the minute they haven't had the back doors blown in by any means. So, like, there's still plenty of opportunity. Like, all they need is that one game to get rolling. Everyone's saying that the Admirals are a tough team to break down. Just didn't get their offense motoring yet. Like, it'll be interesting. Um, like, that game, it's, it's been played in Dublin. But if the Panthers haven't got back to their full or near enough full strength squad, and if the Admirals can actually get a passing game going uh, and a run game as well, like you wouldn't be surprised to see them like getting a victory against the Panthers. Like at the minute, the the Admirals they're quite low down in the, in the table, but when they're coming up against the Cowboys, the Trojans, the the Knights, the Rhinos, like there is f- four games which. Based on what we've been told by the UCD and the Rebels, they would much less prefer to come up against the Admirals than those other four teams. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup and there's a few things for me that are going to be key to this game. So the first one is the Panthers run game. So we saw it there um, against the Rhinos when the run game wasn't there and and Ben was out, the Panthers offense kind of struggled um, a little bit to kind of get going. The Panthers seem to be a team made up of a select number of superstar players, if you know what I mean. So we have like wide receiver Sean Goldrick there, who's always a deep threat, and uh, running back Ben, as we've mentioned already, that if he's having a good game, then Panthers are going to have a good game. Um, you know, Ian as well, and even on the other side of the ball, the likes of Evan Allen and stuff, and whether they're going to be um, on form. Uh, the second thing that I think is going to be important is the Admirals' offense. Like I see them getting their first point in this game. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a shutout. I think that the likes of, let's say, John Dassini, I probably have <laughs> really badly messed up that, that name, um, but he's a wide receiver for Cork Admirals and uh, probably their, one of their best wide receivers. Um, brilliant player and is playing with the Wolfhounds as well. He wasn't there against UCD, so whether he's there and, you know, Stephen Hayes and, and John Dassini start to kind of open up that, that pass and offense, I think will be key as well. Uh, I think that this game is going to come down to, you know, Panthers offense versus Cork defense because those are where those teams are strongest. I think on the flip side of that, the Panthers defense versus Cork offense could be a little bit messy. Overall, I probably see the Panthers coming out on top in this game, but I do feel like Cork Admirals are going to be stronger um, 
than what we have maybe seen from them so far. You know, it's game three. They've had the time now to kind of work on their reps because um, I think that's just what they needed to do in the in the past. Offense was just break it right down to fundamentals and just work through the reps and go out running routes and doing passes, etc., etc. I think they've had the time to do that. And then like game three is where teams start to kind of really hit their stride, particularly those that have started slow in the season. Traditionally, anyway, that's kind of what we see. The um, other thing that we have to remember is that I mean Cork has only had two games so far so yeah as I said I'm I'm gonna go with the Panthers on this but I do see this being a little bit more of a battle than what let's say Cork have been able to put up so far this season yeah like I'm gonna I'm gonna side with you on that one um, I think like as you were saying a quarterback who probably doesn't get the respect that he deserves is Ian Cahill of the Panthers like he's currently sitting in there as like with nine touchdowns, nine throwing touchdowns. He's even rushed one in himself. Um, Panthers defense, you know, Evan Allen, like he's a sponsored athlete. He's currently sitting there with four sacks this season. So he's such a disruptor. He's such a big man. If anyone follows him on Instagram and just watching his sponsored workouts, like I wouldn't like to be hit by him. I, I think that they, they have like the, they have the power both sides of the ball. To, to hold firm but like this it, you really just need to see but then like look at Cork uh, Aaron Hogan he's got three and a half sacks so you've got our two sack leaders coming up against each other in this game you know they're two very disruptive men it's going to be just like a matter of like Cork just need to get rolling simple as Cork just need to actually get something rolling on offence their defense will take care of itself like you said Kelly it has done throughout the years and then if they can just stop Ben and stop Ian and stop Ray and Sean and you know all all the former Vikings they they've like they have a chance but you still going by how the season's played out so far you have to take with the team who's winning and the team who's in form and that's the Panthers yeah I agree what about you Joe yeah no I, I'm the same there like it's uh the Panthers have kind of fallen. I don't want to say they've fallen off. They're not. They're not dead at all. But like, they had that hot start against the Trojans, and then they win a very close game with the Knights. Obviously, they pick up a few injuries. Um, they have those lads out then for the Rhinos game. It just depends on how many of those lads who are out injured come back healthy for this game. Um, again, it's it's hard not to side with the offensive firepower that they have. Um, but I don't think. I don't think the Panthers win, you know, massively. I think the Admirals get on the board. They get on the scoreboard. Um, I think it's a really low-scoring game. And it's one of those where, again, like, like, like I said, it's just you're, the offense that wins is going to be one that gets a lucky break because the Admirals haven't shown too much on offense just yet. Um, but, you know, the Panthers' defense has been, has been solid. But then again, you got their offense rolling in, maybe a little bit banged up against the defense that has really held it together. Um, you know, considering the lack of output their offense had against U City and the Rebels. I think Panthers, but by less than eleven, we'll say within ten points. 
Yeah, I agree. And um, moving on then, but remaining within Premier 1, we have UCD and the Rhinos upcoming. So one thing that I didn't mention when I talked about the Rhinos before was the shout out that I meant to give to coach Steve Mooney. Uh, Steve Mooney is well known across AFI at this stage and he um, is coaching the Rhinos now and has really worked hard on improving the pass game there, which we saw in the last game against the Cowboys where we saw QB Ethan Foster target his number one wide receiver David Solo O'Neill uh, a few times throughout the game um, the latter scoring a uh, receiving touchdown I think in the first quarter and then the QB himself Ethan Foster rushing one in and um, the game I believe was clinched off we've already discussed uh, Rod- Rodrigo Nieto who punched it in from the one yard line so we're seeing the emergence of some nice offensive weapons from the Rhinos and as much as I am enjoying being very wrong about them this season, it almost feels like a shame that it started to click for them and come together ahead of this fixture against UCD, which is arguably going to be probably their toughest or at least one of their toughest fixtures in the league this season. Yeah, UCD at home uh, against a team who's one and three. It's uh, Again, I'd like to be proven wrong, but at this stage, it's got, <laughs> it's got to be UCD here, surely. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. It's like, I don't even know what you do with UCD because, you know, um, Aaron Mooney and, and the likes of Sean Douglas and Keen Lauder and um, all of those, like, they're so well known. Uh, even Tom Donovan, who I don't think, I'm not sure that he's on the scoreboard yet, but I mean, he is getting um, quite, a, quite a lot of yards there as well. Uh, so it's only a matter of time before he scores too. Um, very strong there in the aerial attack, but then also on the ground, we see the the running back, um the UCD running backs, which are equally as strong. And I'm talking about the emergence of um, Jack Finnegan and Sean McVie and the likes. And these are rookies that are coming on to this, um, to the AFI scene. And uh, at this stage, it's looking like they can't seem to be stopped. I have nothing to add to that. (laughs) Rob, okay, if you have nothing to add, then I take it that you're happy to go with UCD for this fixture? Yeah, like, unfortunately, yeah. Like, um, unfortunately, yeah, UCD. Okay, UCD. So the next one is Knights Rebels. Yeah. Um, I mean, the trip up to Belfast, I don't think... I mean, they seem to travel well, the Rebels. Um, Knights being at home, maybe they don't get blown out as much as they did in Dublin. But um, yeah, it's the Rebels. It's the Rebels. Yeah, I think this one is going to be a lineman battle because... The Knights are very strong on, on the line. They're very strong up front and that's usually where they cause the most havoc for teams mm. and uh, that's where they would have traditionally, let's say, gotten the better of, of the Cowboys and even coming up against Panthers. Like, the Panthers really kind of struggled with with that, um, with the Knights. And, but this is different, you know what I mean? Because they're coming up against the Rebels and the Rebels have quite a few, you know, veteran linemen. Like, and I'm talking the likes of, like, Steve Walsh and the likes of Paul Kirkwood who are bowl-winning players. So, you know, they're veterans. They they know what it is to come up against a good line. And I think that they're going to be well-ready, well-match fit. And uh, I don't think that the Knights are going to have the same advantage up front as what they are used to. So even if we're not talking about kind of young, explosive players that we see from the Rebels and that, you know, are going off for the Rebels, even if we're just talking about trenches battle, I still see the Rebels coming away with the win on this game. Yeah, like... Rebels, I think at this stage, are like a lot of people's favourites to like make it to the Shamrock Bowl, even to possibly win the Shamrock Bowl. Uh, they're going to be very difficult to stop. You've got like like you were saying throughout like Dylan Paisley's already got four interceptions this year. 
Even Kenny McCarthy's got another two. They're quite solid there for in the corner position. You're not going to really want to like if you throw at one and target him. Well, you know you're you're risking getting picked off, and then you go to the other side, you're still risking getting picked off. Um, yeah, like Connor and Cook as well, having scored a few touchdowns there on on defense. So that defense just all over you like a rash this year. Yeah, like Cook and Paisley have both scored for for the Rebels D this year. Like it's you've got with the Rebels D scoring more this season than some teams' offenses. Yeah, when you when you when you put it like that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then the other game, the final game is the Cowboys and the Admirals, and that's one that um, I don't know what I'm doing with that. You know, how will Peter Lochran and the boys kind of come up against the Admirals' defense? I think that one depends on the Panthers' game because if the Admirals lose. To be honest, I'd even say if they lose flat, you know, flat out, regardless of how much they lose by, you're going up, and it's a good four, four and a half hour drive up to Cow- up to uh, Craig Avon. Like, that's a long drive t- to try and travel well and then play a game. Yeah, I think if the Admirals beat the Panthers, maybe it puts them in a bit of a better mood for that trip up, but. I mean, when you when when you're when you're hosting a team that's traveling four four and a half hours, you kind of have to side with the home team. At least in my opinion, it doesn't matter if they lost to the Rhinos to me. To be honest, I think the Cowboys picked themselves back up there. That that's just my opinion. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna go and I'm gonna maybe be a bit. I'm gonna go with an Admirals win on this game. You know, we we put a lot into the. The distance the teams have to travel and some teams have to travel coming off from Cork up to Craigavon like it is it's a four and a half five hour journey but a lot of it is motorway it's good roads there isn't a, a set of traffic lights from the Dunkettle interchange the whole way up to Craigavon so you've got that you know you, you don't have to take the foot off the gas you, you'll make it there uh, you're probably wondering how I know this. This is from experience. There's no traffic lights. It's great. Watch out for the occasional speed vans around Kildare. You know, <laughs> Bob's your uncle and Mary's your aunt. Like sweet as like you're laughing at that stage. Robbie, it sounds like you're trying to predict that the admirals get up to Craig Avon as to whether they actually play the game or not. <laughs> Here, all I'm going to say is, as we've seen with a lot of teams this year, making it to the game is half the battle. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, very good point on that one. <laughs> but are we done with the Admirals and the Cowboys? Have we said all that we want to say on that game uh, and the the drive there? I think not. I mean, I, I know I said Cowboys. I, again, I, I can see the Admirals winning. It's not that I don't see it. It's not, it's not that I think there. it's going to be a level of like where we saw the Rhinos at the beginning of the year. You know, um, it's possible that they win. I'm just saying right now, until... Until the Admirals beat the Panthers, I'm going to say that the Cowboys also beat the Admirals. I actually think this one is going to come down to defences because if the likes of Lawrence Riddock and Scotty B and all of those um, on defence for the Cowboys can keep the Admirals out of the end zone, then you can put your faith into Peter Lochran and his offence that they will score against the Admirals. And... 
I think that they will. Like, I do think that the Cowboys offense is good enough to score at least once against even the best um, Admirals defense. So, yeah, it's just about the the opposing defenses trying to keep the offenses as scoreless as possible. And <laughs> who, who ends up with the biggest score at the end of the game? Because... That's how football works. Your your A plus insights here at Domestic Game Podcast. You do in fact need to score more points than the other team to win the game. Yeah, I mean you heard it here first. Like it's just maths. It's just maths. This is a ref. This is a referee, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's it. Well, that would be my strategy anyway. Um, I would go out there and I would try to score more than the other team. Uh, that's what I think that the Cowboys should try to do against the Admirals uh, when they meet. Or just hope that the other team don't turn up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And um, on the topic, actually, of making it to games being half the battle, that brings me away from Premier Division and into Division 1 football. And where we see the unfortunate news that the Eagles have forfeited for the, the remainder of the season. Well, in here, I'm, you're looking at the Eagles scores. I'm going to cut you off, Kat. Like, on, on the AFI website, you have the Eagles playing three games in one day. You've got them playing three games on the 28th of April. It's like, what? That's ridiculous. Like, whoever's in charge of the schedule needs to look at that. No wonder they didn't win. They played, well, who they, they played the Crusaders, the Vipers, the Minotaurs, the Crusaders again. The Vikings, all in one. That's five games in one day. Honestly, like Aiden, can we can we get that? Like, surely we need to sort something out here where we can go. They need to play more games. Spread their schedule out a bit. Like <laughs> that's a uh, Aiden McGuire, president of AFI, for context for anyone that's wondering. <laughs> to be honest, like there is no sorting out the Eagles at this stage. Like, it, the season's over for them. They're done. They're they're toast. Like, yeah. it's disappointing. I feel, if anything, I feel really bad for the other teams in the league, like the Crusaders, Vikings, Minotaurs. Like, I kind of even feel bad for Joe and, and the Minotaurs. So, like, at this stage, like, you've got like two lower divisions and teams are dropping out of both. Like, how these teams aren't being flagged up as you know, flight risks before the season? Like we all have a criteria to meet for for like being in the league, like it, it's it's not acceptable to be to to for this to be happening at this stage. Like it's a great disservice to the other teams around. Mm, I I agree with you, and obviously I have a bit of insider info have considering that I'm a board member and so I'm part of the audits that we do and we do get a sense of how healthy or otherwise a team is from those audits um kind of like what what are you to do like it's uh, you can you can tell a team like okay you're not strong enough to compete this year um but it, you know it's difficult it's difficult when it's a when it's a few teams because like for example let's say the Mavericks were an example of a team that came across like they were really struggling for no reason and you know we're we're going to suffer this season and so kind of the solution to that was to to bring them down a division and that was responsible by that club yeah that was responsible by them to to accept that they hadn't got numbers going into the season and that the best thing to do for for the club and out of respect for the other teams in the in the league in the wider league was to go into a lower division yeah like is it a question of that maybe that AFI needs to look into another sort of lower format 
than a division like division two in that maybe you have like I know many many years ago uh, back in the days where you had the likes of Drogheda Lightning mm. there was like a was it a seven aside league oh, so yeah, so for DV8s DV8 so where you've got teams which are maybe struggling which have 12 maybe 12 to 14 players have them in a DV8 league where they're still getting games they're still getting reps because there's a lot of players like I'm gonna like Wexford is a way out on its own there's no real teams in sort of a, a manageable distance away from you there's probably at least 15 players who if the Eagles don't ever get up and going again may never play football again yeah yeah and that's very disappointing yeah it is like it is actually um I like that idea about the DV8s thing so I'll bring that up at the next board meeting and hopefully we'll see a lot of our our teams that are not present in the league this year come back for 2023 at a lower division or at a possible DV8 if that was a thing that ever came back to fruition like you already would have them you'd have the the Bulldogs there's two teams if you got another two teams that you know we've already seen a few that have dropped out of other games at the, yeah. uh, at the lower league yeah. put them in it as well Waterford come yeah the comeback of the Wolves you know bring back Wolves so there's there's three teams, you know, three three D V eight teams. If you had another one or two teams, you should be able to like have consistent consistent scrimmages, consistent games, even run it where you like the youth blitzes where you have two games at a venue with condensed time frames. Just something that actually has a like a bit of consistency to stop the forfeits, like to stop the pulling out, you know these things that like frustrate members, you know, the, the length and breadth of the league, frustrate the players within the clubs, these sort of things. Just, so something like this, you know, like after a two year break, you know, before before the two year break, we had pullouts and forfeits. After the two year break, you know, we were kind of expecting pullouts and forfeits, but I feel that we've had two years where we've now, re we really need to have alternative opportunities and sort of alternative pathways for clubs when they are struggling so that they don't go to the wall like you look through the history of american football here in this country there's as many teams have went bust as teams currently in existence yeah it's like there needs to be some kind of an infrastructure that stops this from happening stops this like what is basically just a collapse of teams. Yeah. Like even teams that like shown like success. Like if we're going back, like I remember around the twenty ten where you had the 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 Tyrone Titans and the Titans they burned so bright in the beginning and within three years like nobody remembers the Titans. <laughs> it's it, it's this kind of thing that like it needs it needs to stop. No, like this is everything for me is just straight from the heart and you know, <laughs> that's it. Everything you just pawn after pawn after pawn, just keep coming. I just keep talking and you know, you're bound to hit with one of them. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to the Eagles and yeah, it's a bit disappointing that they forfeit at this time, especially because they were such an exciting team when they kind of came out into AFI and even in their most recent season, 2019, um, like I think they made... 
think they were in the playoffs. I think they played Trinity in the playoffs. Um, and then I can't remember if they were beaten by the Minotaurs or Craig Allen Cowboys because I know it was a four-game playoff. Um, Joe, you're probably in a better position to comment on this. Uh, yeah, so they finished in playoff position. They, I think they were fourth, or they would have been third seed, actually. They played us um, in Mullingar. Uh, it was a close game as well. I think it was 22-27 or somewhere around that area. It was a one-score game. And I thought coming into this season, or, you know, coming into whatever the next season ended up being, that they would be another contender. But it just seems that between COVID and, um, you know, Coach Clatt leaving the team, that uh, it just, I don't want to say ruined the club and killed the club, but it's pretty close to it. Like, you know they've they've gone from being a contender to to having to forfeit the rest of their season, and it's just really disappointing to see a club go from, you know, considering what division they were in, you know, it's division one and getting into playoff area, you know, to go from a, a real good high and a real good season all the way down to basically not having one, and, you know, it doesn't look good for them going forward, like you know. No, it doesn't. Um... And, you know, there's a lot of kind of rumours uh, coming out from Wexford. Like, so, you know, obviously we know um, Coach K, Coach Kevin Clatt was their head coach. And, I mean, I had only ever officiated them once and it actually was that uh, Trinity game that was the the game before the Minotaurs game that they played, obviously, against yourself. And Coach K, you know, I was quite impressed with him, even though I know it was only a small amount of time that, that I got to see him on the sideline. But, you know, personally, thought he did quite a good job as head coach and uh, enjoyed the playbook, like stuff like that from him. And um, so I was surprised that the board had decided not to continue his stint as head coach of the Eagles um, going into 2021, having had the break since, you know, 2020 or 2022 even, um, having had the break since uh, 2020. But like Coach K, as we know, has gone over to the Panthers as a result. And then uh, he started off, I think he was their O-line coach. And now he's their, he was their offensive coordinator then for a time. And then, you know, in the absence of Steve Mack, which of course is, is a loss for the Panthers, he stepped up as head coach. But from my sources on the Panthers team, they're very happy with him in that position. They say, you know, they really enjoy having him there. They like... Um, what he's bringing to team, but they also like his attitude in the sense that he feels that he has as much to learn from the players as the players have to learn from him, which is really a sign of leadership because, you know, leaders don't necessarily have to do everything themselves. He said he's very aware of his strengths and his weaknesses. He leans into his strengths and then he empowers the players of the Panthers that actually have as their strengths the weaknesses that he has then he allows them to kind of take the reins on on those things so that seems to be working quite well I think that the the upcoming game for the Panthers against the Admirals will probably be another we um you know indicator on how well things are doing uh for the Panthers we'll we'll probably gain a lot from from that game but anyway um going back then to division one we have the UL Vikings and the Vipers uh, which obviously is going to be a horrible trek for the Vipers all the way from Derry to uh, Limerick. And I suppose maybe, Joe, you're best positioned to make a prediction on how that game may play out. Yeah, well, um, I've not had the chance to see the Vikings play this year. Um, obviously, it would have been great to go and uh, see the 
39-47 shootout they had with uh, Kildare I'd say that would have been a fantastic game to go watch but um, yeah I mean I, I've seen the I've seen the Vipers play once at Trinity I've I've been on the sidelines when their offense has been on the field in our game um, it's difficult I think the Viper, the Vipers have a really good defense um, obviously they kept us to one score and you know we well we scored right at the end with, with a second one but um, it was a one score game for most for most of that one uh, and the Trinity game the same like they only gave up one uh, one touchdown on offense so I feel like they have the type of defense that could contain uh, a higher scoring team like the Vikings but even then like I'm not all in on the Vikings again I could be proven wrong but I'm not all in on the Vikings again I know they scored 47 points there um, their last game but you know they struggled against Trinity they didn't put a score on the board they struggled against the Eagles and obviously with the context we have in the Eagles now that doesn't look good at all Um, it'll be it'll be it'll be an interesting game I think so I've I've got a few points on this game Okay, a few, a few points, a few points, just a few. So one, Darren Busty Quinn has got three pairs of new gloves. I did see that. Three yes. pairs. Mm, three pairs. Point number two, he's also got a new tattoo on his leg. Correct. Point number three, and this is now kind of back in reference to as Joe was talking about the Admirals and the Cowboys game. The road from Cork to Craigavon. <laughs> is significantly better than the road from Derry to Limerick. Oh, I can promise you that is correct. It, it is. Like, the game being in Limerick, like, lads, vipers, like, head down the night before. Don't, don't do it to yourselves. Like, don't by turning up on game day. Um, yeah, just make a weekend out of it. Enjoy life. So, uh, at the end of that, we're still no closer to finding out um, who Rob thinks is going to take that game between the Vikings and the, the Vipers. Um, oh, see, this is, this is one of those games. This is one of those games that, like, I, I really hate the call. You know, being a proud Ulster man, I will take Ulster teams with my heart all day long. But then, also having a bit of sense... And looking at that Vikings team and how they've been performing and how they've like finally got scoring and been down in UL, been down in their home. I, I unfortunately for the Vipers, I'm gonna back a Vikings win. Wow. Um I feel it's it's gonna be a tight game, um, but still nonetheless, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with the Vikings, unfortunately, on this one, which really it hurts it hurts to say it especially with you sitting here across from me Kelly but yeah Vikings Vikings for the W I think I would favour the Vipers slightly um, but it's just a case again uh, I know we joked about it already but the four and a half hour five hour trip from Derry um, is a bit worse than you know the trip along the motorway up to uh, from what Cork all the way up to Craig Avenue or whatever yeah um, yeah. works yeah yeah, uh, yeah it, it's kind of for me it's like 50-51 to be honest um, I'm not gonna hate anybody for calling it either way 
I don't have too many strong opinions on it. But I'll go yeah. Vipers just for the sake of it. Just because I know I know you're going to pick the Vikings regardless. <laughs> so, you know, they could be playing UCD tomorrow and you'd probably... <laughs> you'd probably go with the Vikings. But yeah, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I think, from what I've seen from the Vipers, I think that they are the type of team that can limit how many chances a high-powered offense will get. It's just a case of whether they can get their own offense on the board. And then I think if they can do that, um, I think the, Viper, the Vipers take it. Yeah, I find it hard to disagree with you. Do you know, uh, the Vipers there for me are in one of the top three teams of that division. And, you know, the Vikings um, aren't at that yet. But then the Vikings seem to have kind of hit their form as well, coming out of that recent Crusaders shootout game. Um, yeah, for me, like my... My heart says Vikings, but my head says Vipers. See, so you're you're backing out. You're backing out. You're not giving actually any, any kind of results. We all know Kelly's a Viking, and that's it. Well, that, that's true. And it's weird. Like it's weird saying that again. Like coming like like both teams' last games were a thirteen nil loss for the team that's traveling four and a half hours, and uh, a forty-seven point performance on the road for the team that's now hosting and yet we're still going with the Vipers it's weird football is a really weird sport breaking news <laughs> per my sources football's weird as per your sources yeah yeah true um, and then let's say we've got the 22nd of May if we go as far as then for Division 1 which will see the Trinity which will see Trinity students taking on the Crusaders so, um, yeah, how are you feeling about that one? Trinity are a team where if they have their numbers and if they have everything, you can see them going head-to-head and competing with you know nearly any team in the country. Uh, Crusaders, they've re- since the merger back in, I can't remember what year it was back in, of the Soldiers and the Reapers yeah. to form the Crusaders, they really have managed to to like hold it together and like to like they seem to be quite a well-run organization and that they're getting their numbers they're getting their players they're competing for everything and it's it's a credit to them you know the reapers were back in the day like quite a good club they were like and quite like relatively successful the the soldiers never really got going um they were always kind of tight on numbers, always going to be in the bottom division. And just then the, the, the Reapers started, you know, what was a gradual but steep decline. Both teams were at a very low level and the merger happened. And now they're, they're really putting it up to like some of the teams. They're, they're hard hitting. They've got some good receivers. They've got a lot of players to come in from the Eden Derry Eagles flag team as well as having their own flag team they they seem to have like just like it's something that you if you were to go to someone say four or five years ago and be like oh yeah the Reapers and the Soldiers making the Eagles is going to be a competitive football team it wouldn't have been believable but they've really turned things around there and like got it going like I'm still going to go with uh, a Trinity win so ever since Mario Mera has now left the Crusaders, you would have thought that that's going to be a big dent in their upcoming season. But like as I was talking to Joe off air, he was saying Matty has actually went to play football in Europe, which I'm not going to say it's a bit of a step up, 
but you know it's always great when you see players from this country getting scouted and you know taken away to play at um, you know a more recognised level yeah, Trinity win. So what about you, Joe? Um, I think the Crusaders are going to miss uh, Matty O'Mara and fair play to him. Um, he's a great player. He, he He's smart and he's athletic and he can play a lot of different positions. So um, he should have no bother out there. But again, saying that, because of, because of how versatile he is, the Crusaders are really going to miss him. Um, and I think they're losing them at the wrong time as well like they've got Trinity coming up um, they've got us twice um, I think they still have to play everybody else once don't they yeah so you'd have hoped if you know from the Crusaders point of view I think you'd have hoped that you'd have had Matty around a little bit longer um, yeah I think Tr- Trinity win this um, I th- think the Crusaders might get on might get on the board they might break Trinity's uh, defensive um, shutout streak yeah I think they finally give up a point yeah I, I agree with that you know um, I agree that the Crusaders like, they should score I'd say they will score I mean they're actually quite a a team that is quite capable of scoring they're very like high high powers sometimes a bit chaotic they can lose their form um, particularly coming to the end of games if, if they're feeling the pressure but um Trinity is a, is a difficult one to predict this year I think because like that we've talked about it before they have like quite an athletic squad um, just not convinced on the health of the squad like even there um, yeah. in the last game we see um, Connor Dwyer who I mean is a well-known absolute athlete um, but he was in a QB I think so I don't know why Ben Dowling um, wasn't available for Trinity for that game but he was he was in a QB. I don't know. I, I'm assuming he's not the the first option given what a strong wide receiver he is. He kind of just goes in everywhere, doesn't he? he kind of does does a bit of everything. But um, from what I had heard against the game or their game against the Eagles, they only had something like one or two extra players than the Eagles had, um, which you know it doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence in their ability to remain strong throughout the season I don't think that they are uh, by any means a like a forfeit threat or anything like that but just when they're coming up against teams like the Crusaders who have almost another squad on the sideline um, it you know you just kind of wonder about how fresh Trinity is going to be coming into that fourth quarter I still agree with you I think Trinity take it and I also think that the Crusaders do score against Trinity um, for this game but personally would have a few concerns for Trinity going forward into the season given that they would have been and still are a contender to win that division out at the same time you know I like the Crusaders um I like their attitude like we've kind of said that they are a team that everybody loves to hate um and they kind of really adopt that as well like they're a team that has a real kind of us against the world type of attitude like there's a real like brotherhood there because half of them are related to each other. That is so true, because you have like the likes of the Carey brothers and then the Farrell brothers and so on and so on. Yeah, it's like, it's worse than Trinity. It's just like <laughs> three families making up an entire football team. What I also like about the Crusaders is that I could be at the opposition sideline and I'm looking over at their team and I'm like, oh my God, oh God, I'd hate to be over there now. Oh, I'd hate to be over there because, you know, they're good at taunting and they're good at giving a little bit of crap. But then you go over to their sideline, they're lovely. 
Like they're very welcoming, like they're lovely, lovely fellas. But they are so good at getting in the heads of the opposition, like, uh, and everyone is the opposition with them, because like that, it's them against the world. Like, I can remember even being a ref, ref of them. And there were times where they were getting in at my head, like I had to like, calm myself down, like Kelly, don't do it and silly, like, do you know what I mean? Because they'd be like, annoying me or whatever so much, like, but it's gas then, like, you know, you turn around, they're, they're, they're sound, like, they're totally sound, it's just part of the sport for them, like, and they're so, so good at it. Like, if I could give you one piece of advice playing against the Crusaders, it's wear earplugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, but anyway, uh, to summarise on, on, on my side anyway, I still feel that Trinity take this game. I think that a lot of it will come down to the health of Trinity and obviously not letting uh, the Crusaders in, into their head. Um, it's going to be tough. Um, obviously, I know with, being, with Minute, the, her, the exam times take away a lot of players. And that's just from my experience with the college team in flag. So... From Kitted, I'm sure it's just the same. And, and, you know, we saw in 2019 uh, how they struggled towards the end of the season, getting numbers down. And uh, obviously it cost them the playoff game they had with Craig Avon. That final could have looked very different and even Premier Division could look very different just because Trinity couldn't get numbers down. Um, for to, to see it hit so early in the year, you know, the fact they didn't have too many people down and, like... When was our last game? April 10th? So you're not even talking exam times at that stage. That's still, you know, middle of term for them and you'd expect to have a lot of bodies. So, as you said, it's a bit a bit worrying. Obviously, you hope that they can, um, you know, pick things back up numbers-wise and um, finish out the season and remain a strong team. But, yeah, it's, it's I'd be a little bit worried. But uh, yet to be seen. I think that this this game against Crusaders isn't isn't the one that we're going to see Trinity struggle I think that Trinity will struggle if they meet the likes of the Vipers again and when they come up against yourselves I think will be kind of the litmus test for the strength of the the Trinity team and um, maybe they will come out on top who knows Joe yeah exactly I mean that that's the thing like you said it um, when you start talking about Trinity you know you know fair enough the numbers numbers is a big thing but when even if you have 16 players down and they're all athletic as hell which is what Trinity are, then they're always going to give you a fight regardless of how many people you have down. So, um, obviously, hopefully they... I mean, knowing Trinity, they'll be able to fulfil their schedule and, you know, we're not going to have another case of, of forfeiting games. But, um, obviously, with fewer players, increase the chance of injury. So, fingers crossed, all there, stay healthy and uh, stay strong coming into playoff season. But, yeah, Tr- I think... Tr- that's a long way of saying I think Trinity win this game. Yeah, long story long. <laughs> we took we took that road from Derry to Limerick to get to that. <laughs> the scenic route. Yeah, we, we took the scenic route to saying Trinity win. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then moving to Division 2 and to recap the games there, we saw the Pirates and the Giants um, clash where the Pirates uh, unfortunately didn't didn't score, but the Giants only getting ahead by six, which is quite a close game. And I think credit to the Pirates on that. Um, maybe seeing the benefit of some of the, the Meath players coming across then. More interestingly, I think the Razorbacks beating the Jets Um the Jets traditionally a much stronger team than the Razorbacks and the Razorbacks coming up by 20 so my take home from this is um, 
that we're seeing kind of the fruits of the team, the likes of Suntan Miller heading over to the Razorbacks and also many of the Belfast Lions players who were originally with the Trojans coming into the Razorbacks, kind of um, starting to strengthen that team. Um, I didn't think that it would happen so quick. I thought it would be really towards the end of the season that that would start to pay off. But the Razorbacks win for the Jets there is, um, you know, a big win for them in the history of their club. I think a lot, like, like Suntan, great player. You know, we've seen him for years and years. I'm pretty sure he was in the league before most of us even knew what American football was. But, you know, you got to look beyond him to like what else they've got going there. If you want someone who I have great time for as a person and a player, it's Zach Appleyard. Yes, I knew you were going to talk about him. That man, he is, he's about six foot four, built like a tank, and can run a 40 quicker than I'd say 85% of that division. And he can catch, and he can catch. And he can catch, uh, that's right. And, you know, it's something that we spoke about before before we came on air, and it's good to actually bring it on air, um, where particularly in, like, let's say, Division 2 and Division Division 1, where you get, like, a, someone of, let's say, Zach Appleyard's build. So, he's you know, he's a, a substantial man. Like, <laughs> you're not going to miss him. And they might just throw him, like, into the middle of the line and not really consider where the best um, position for him is, you know, just because they might need linemen or such and so on like whereas you know you see the likes of of Zach and he is like a, a, an elite tight end because like that like he's a big fella but he's fast he's agile very quick you know good hands as well you know can cut like directions and can step as well and so it's great to see him as kind of a boring tight end put into that position as opposed to throwing him in the middle of the line where you might just think oh we need big boys there so we're going to put him there yeah and like when you have that when you have someone like that you know it makes your it makes everything a lot easier for a quarterback having a tight end who can block but who can catch passes early releases to them you always have that safety valve like you know as we've as we said before teams of the lower division really need to start airing the ball out to. When you have people that you can know you can trust to air the ball out to, you're gonna throw more. Like, and we were saying how the the Razorbacks have got a couple of the Lions players. Like they've also got James Earls, out wide receiver. You know, he's got speed, he's got hands as well. There's two offensive players at least. Like you, you look at NFL teams and you know, you've got your, your number one wide receiver and you've got a pass catching tight end and they can like do so much damage for you. Yeah, I worked for Tom Brady for a long time. Here, it's, it's basically they've got like Debo and Kittle there in just AFI Division 2. Yeah, yeah, true. And then I don't want to take away from the Jets either because obviously like 2016 is still quite a close scoring game. And I think the standout star for the Jets on offense has to be Scott McLean because by all accounts he was making plays out of plays that there was nothing really to be made anything of so it's just a testament to him there for the Jets yeah and it's it's um, I think the Razorbacks threw a few highlights together after the game and there was an interception there that was just so unfortunate for for Scott McLean I think he threw a ball up a fade uh, near the goal line ball goes to the end zone receiver goes up for it hits his shoulder hits his head I think it hits a DB's head as well, and then another DB cat. It's like it takes like, it's like you know, like it's like a quadruple doink off. 
two different players and then a third guy catches and I'm like like when you when you <laughs> when you throw those up as a as a QB maybe it's not like oh well the receiver should catch that and you expect it a 100% guarantee but like when you see that play and it goes down as an interception on the board it's like well what could I do about that yeah, no like just just going back you know I, I hate making the sort of NFL comparisons because um, the NFL is not early in and there's enough other Irish podcasts talking about the NFL but if you're to sort of view Scott McLean yeah. I have him in that sort of Kyler Murray-esque kind of a quarterback yeah. he isn't the tallest guy on the pitch no. but he can run he's evasive and he can throw he can yeah. still throw like he is quite the dual threat quarterback he isn't afraid to scramble he can get outside if you do not hit him and hit him low and even wrap him up he'll bounce yeah. I unfortunately had that experience against him where a couple of times maybe even over pursuing him or not wrapping him up and he has this annoying little thing where once he gets by by you he has a little tither like a little a little laugh and and he's away <laughs> and like it's kind of thing that like after once or twice it's the kind of thing that'll like stick in your head and that it will haunt you <laughs> but um like a player that i really i really enjoyed playing against and someone who if you were watching on the sideline you would enjoy watching him play because he is dynamic you know he gives them options it's the kind of thing like it was exciting it was exciting and yeah. uh, it's kind of he is like sort of one of the the offensive stars on the uh on the Jets team. Yeah, absolutely agree. And then Joe, um, and also looking ahead to the, the Jets-Giants game, but Joe, you you off-air kind of made some pretty big claims um, where you stated that Scott McLean is, is one of, or if not the best quarterback in uh, Division 2. And I get what you're saying, Joe, but I don't think he is the best quarterback in that division, like not being biased, but I do believe that the Mavericks' Nathan Herity is the number one QB in Division 2. We see so much of the, the Mavericks run game. Um, I think a lot of that is just the coaching staff trying to like look after a rookie QB in, in their system. But we've also seen him in that he can he can take off. Uh, he can sling the ball. You know, he has got so many attributes that you look for in a quarterback. He is over six foot. He has great vision across the line. And I think this, those kind of sort of uh, little sort of aspects of the, the physical aspects of him that give him that slight edge over Scott in the quarterback standings. Yeah, so Joe, over to you. Are you switching what you said or are you sticking by what you originally said with Scott McLean? Uh, I am, yeah. Nathan, I mean, Nathan Hardy's good from Mavericks, but I mean, you look at the numbers that McLean's put up and the fact that every score has come through him whether he's thrown it or whether he's run it in himself. Like, he is the X factor in Division 2. And I think whenever you're coming up against the Jets, it's, does Scotty McLean have a good day? Okay, the Jets win. Uh, does Scotty McLean have a quiet day? Okay, well, say this week, Giants win. I think that'll be the prediction for this one. It's how can the Giants contain McLean? Yeah. 
I agree with you. It's he's kind of a one man offense there um, in the Jets. In fairness, and um, then obviously we saw this weekend the the rescheduled game between the Mavericks and the Razorbacks, and unfortunately the kind of win streak. I mean, I love the Mavericks. Obviously, that is the team you know the most recent team that I that I've come from. But you know, there's the part of me that's kind of like I'd love I'd love to see the Razorbacks do it. You know what I mean? It would have been ambitious if they did, and unfortunately it wasn't to be. But um, still, I. I don't think it's the scoreline and the difference that we would have expected from that game um, had we predicted it at the start of the season. Like, and I, again, I think it is uh, an absolute like testament to the Razorbacks how how strong they are getting when they're going up against a team that was at one stage a Premier One team. Do you know? Uh, typically, uh, a division a Division One team. Yeah, and um, you know, you kind of touched on it with the. Belfast City Lions players coming into the Razorbacks to help strengthen that squad it's really made a difference I mean if you had predicted again going back to that Jets game if you had predicted that game after the Donahue Cup last year you'd have said okay Jets win by 20 but the Razorbacks put 20 points on them and won and you know had you said okay well Mavericks who again at the time as you said were Division 1 are going to play a game against the Razorbacks who I don't think I could be wrong in this and forgive me if I if I am wrong I don't think I'd won a game up to that point no clue but if we look at their season this year and uh, they got a forfeit from the Giants in week one um, or not week one sorry March 13th which I don't I don't can't remember if that was week one or not but yeah March 13th anyway and um, other than that yeah there were losses and you know, kind of close enough losses. They had a game against the Jets that went 14-8. So, I mean, for them to revisit um, that fixture and to win 2016 is uh, significant. Yeah, and I think it, it's showing the the gradual improvement of the squad. I mean, as with the last year has been fantastic for the Razorbacks. You know, coming out of that Donaghy Group Cup and saying, OK, well, we didn't win a game, but let's keep grinding let's make some improvements off the field let's get a bit more organised in the structure of the club and I think that's really helped um, obviously again again, like had you said okay Mavericks and Razorbacks are going to play in a game what do you think the score will be I would guess the most of the predictions coming in would be like oh, 30, 40 point wins for the Mavericks uh, like if you again if you told me this game was going to happen last year I'd have said the Mavericks would have beaten them more than they did the Pirates but they kept yes. it. They kept it a lot closer than that. The Razorbacks, and you know, I think it's a testament to them moving forward. I think by this time in July, are they more competitive? Maybe. And if they sneak in as a number two seed and they get to the final with the Mavericks, like well, it's gas because uh, you know I'm trying very hard not to focus on final scores and stuff as we're going through um, this episode. <laughs> but you know that that game finished twenty four six in favor of the Mavericks. But and we're saying that you know you would have anticipated that potentially that would have been a higher scoring games in in favor of the Mavericks if you were to predict it kind of at the start of the season. But from what I hear, it could have been a higher scoring game only Brendan Sims for the second game uh, in it this year got flagged for taunting before scoring the touchdown so everyone knows if you're gonna taunt it's fine but just make sure you score the touchdown like, first he, he's scored more points that have been called back than some teams have scored points that have been given to them all year <laughs> 
you know what I mean? Like as in Bork have played two games and he has scored two more touchdowns than them that have been called back. Yeah. Like that's that's a that's a real waste. That's like the equivalent of like you know like when billionaires spend like oh yeah I'll pay like my or I'll give my assistant like a four hundred thousand dollar car. It's like well what if some like could you not just give like four hundred thousand dollars to charity like that's the same thing. It's like don't waste touchdowns. Like it's the one thing we do. <laughs> It's like some teams struggling to score and then the, the Brendan Sims for the Mavs, they're just like giving up touchdowns like it ain't no thing. Like, <laughs> like I, so again, wasn't at the game, but I know for sure he did the Tyreek Hill piece. The, like, I, I don't even have to be there to know that that happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at, you know, he is running ragged this season. I mean, I don't, can't remember which game it was. I think it was against the Pirates, actually, that he had, like, four four running touchdowns. And uh, it was the previous game then against the Jets that he had the touchdown. Like, I mean, it was return. I think it was a kick return, and it went all the way for touchdown. And, like, that got, like, called back, like, which... I don't know what they're doing in the Mavericks there, but... Um, they need to make sure that that man definitely does some sort of a forfeit of training anyway, because um, he's clearly not learning. But um, <laughs> anyway, that that game is due to be repeated, let's say on the on the 22nd, uh, where those two teams meet again. And so this is where I'll ask Robbie, um, you know, what can the Razorbacks do? Like what weaknesses do the Mavericks have that the Razorbacks can exploit in this uh, upcoming game? Um any weaknesses in the Mavericks I, I'd say probably just target wherever I'm lined up <laughs> <laughs> to be fair Rock, so <laughs> if you see me in at left or right tackle I'd say run for that gap <laughs> if you see me in mid linebacker I'd say throw it over the middle um, yeah just like just exploit me and that's basically it <laughs> So then the next game that kind of going back to the 15th of May, yeah, which is this upcoming Sunday, and we have the Giants and the Jets upcoming. Um, so, yeah, an interesting one because, you know, the Giants um, didn't probably didn't do as well as what we thought they would do against the Pirates. But again, they, they didn't let up a score in that game. So, you know, the likes of um, Ross McKenzie there on defense for the Giants, like really like really stepping up there he has definitely uh sacks fumbles and fumble recoveries nearly in every single game he's kind of a, a guy that doesn't go undocumented from any any of the Giants games I think so far so um the Giants have always been uh, a defensively led team so I think it's going to be interesting coming up against the Jets who are as we've said you know have a strong QB leader there in in Scott McLean so um Joe how, how are you feeling about this game upcoming um I, again, it's a case of whether Scott McLean can turn it on or not. I think um, I think the Giants' pass rush, like we said with um, uh, Ross McKenzie, like like if if guys like that can get in and get in the backfield and get on them quick, then it's going to cause problems for the Jets. And I think I think I'll go with the Giants in this one purely because I think. You know, with it not having been so long since uh, the Jets got upset by the Razorbacks, I think the Giants can capitalise on the Jets maybe trying to take too many steps forward too quickly. I think the Jets will try to go out and they'll be they'll be really aggressive. Um, but I think maybe to their detriment. 
I think they know. I think they know they need to win to get their season back on track. Like I think they they know that going into the year they were the number one or number two team in most people's predictions, and you know they're sitting one and two at the moment. If they fall to one and three, you know, in a tight division like this, it could end up that could lock them out of the playoffs. They know that, so they have to be aggressive. But the Giants, it's like again, the the Giants know that, and I think they'll with having um, you know not having given up a point their last in their last game. Um, I think they'll use whatever um, you know whatever way they 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 locked up the Pirates. I think they'll take the positives from that, and um, they'll probably exercise a similar game plan for for the Jets yeah and uh, I agree with you and it is kind of uh, it's an important it's an important fixture for the Jets to win because we have the Razorbacks here you know having just beat the Jets the Jets were certainly not thinking they were going to pick up a loss in that game I think they were pretty much counting that game as a win uh, before they played it and then you the Razorbacks obviously hadn't won a game previous but had picked up that forfeit against the Giants and now the rest of the Razorback season is looking pretty okay aside from the upcoming ga- game against the Mavericks on, on May 22nd where obviously they're going to target wherever Rob is playing <laughs> in order to, to, to win that game but I mean there are other fixtures then are coming up against you know the Pirates there's another one then again against the Pirates in their final um, game then against the Giants so I mean if you're a Razorback the Razorbacks are really kind of the dark horse of this um, of this division you know I kind of think that they could it's possible they could end up pipping the Jets if the Jets aren't careful so the Jets do need this win against the Giants um, upcoming um, do I think that they will get it I know you've picked Giants but I uh, I do I think that the Jets will will win this one I think that um, like you've said if Scott McLean is on form um, that they will win and I mean he so often is on form so so often so we'll we'll see yet to be seen yeah I think my head is I think it's I think it is a close one either way it's not going to be it's not going to be some massive um, some massive shootout I think when it's a coin toss like this you go for whoever has the better kit and that's the Giants so <laughs> I don't know. I think the Jets have have, have cool kit. Like I tell you what, now Nessie, now you've brought it up and you, you you've uh, you've you forced me to talk about this now. So the Jets lime kit is actually very nice. I might be. Uh, I don't know if that's controversial, but their their lime kit. And I tell you what, I'm I'm going to say it now, and that way we have to do it later. Um, in the off season for kitted anyway, just before we get into flag football. And we need to do an episode power ranking every kit. Oh yeah, because they used to do that in AFI. I think that started in 2020, so the first year where there wasn't. Uh, yeah, and I think it was uh, Steve Mack was the genius behind that idea where he did the sexy bowl, and um, yes. <laughs> which saw actually a replay of the Shamrock Bowl from 2019, and the Panthers unfortunately losing out again <laughs> to the Trojans, and there. What was the name of that? It wasn't a black kit. They had a name for it. I can't remember if it was like Amnest or something was what they were calling it. There was some name for it anyway. And anytime you call them black, you know, team black, team whatever, which is what the refs will do. They won't say, you know, Trojans or, or Panthers. Yeah. But every time, you know, the, the refs would say 
you know, black team or whatever, <laughs> they would be corrected by the Trojans <laughs> to use the correct terminology for their their new kit. And that was, I mean, they were rightful winners of the the sexy bowl there in, in 2020. But yeah, maybe we'll we'll do something like that—a power ranking of a. Uh, of kit uh, on on the domestic game and see who comes out. That's the that's the content that people really tune in for. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. They don't care about it. they don't care about football. Um. So then our final game that we'll look towards and we kind of finish up the episode here is the Jets and Pirates. That's also on the twenty second of May. So, um, Jets Pirates, how are you feeling about about that one? Um, Jets. Yeah, same. I'm going Jets on that. One. I think the Pirates are starting to come come stronger but still it's not it's not convincing yet to be going up against the Jets who were really in the in the top three uh, well maybe top two even uh, teams in that division yeah the Pirates to me are kind of just on the lower end of that although I do think that they are getting getting stronger as, as a team but I still don't see them going up against the Jets and coming away with the win there I think that the Jets are gonna are gonna are gonna take that one and probably take it fairly fairly convincingly as well yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. It's a shame that the merger with well, the the one year merger with the um, with the Bulldogs hasn't really paid off. At least, at least as of yet, anyway. Um, obviously, you know, if they had been a bit more competitive, then you'd be a bit more optimistic for next season for both teams, really. But with the few Bulldogs who did join the Pirates and that really not taken off. You know, is that a hindrance to both teams going into next year? Because I think we, if if we're well, if I'm being honest anyway, I think the Pirates should be looking towards next year already. I don't think yeah. they're gonna, you know, they're not in a in a competitive state for playoff football here. So, but it is it, it's it's gonna be a hard uh, it's gonna be an upward road now to try and um, to try and claw something out of this season and kind of use that to try and catapult themselves next year. They do need a few wins down the road, I will say that. I just yeah. I don't know where they're going to pick them up. That's the thing, yeah, looking ahead for the rest of their season. You know, like that, they have that Jets game, they have another Jets game, um, a Razorback game, and another Razorback game. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to see where where those wins would come from, if any at all. So, probably a tough out slog for the Pirates going towards the end of this season. But, as you said, they can look ahead to next season and start planning accordingly. And I think that's probably maybe their best strategy at this point. I think that then brings us to the end of this episode. Um, anything anything else that you want to say on anything? I don't want I don't want any more forfeits. Yeah, no more forfeits. It's so funny. I just don't want any more. These sign offs, like, they started off and it was, you know, Mavericks or Minotaurs for the bowl, Minotaurs 50 nil, you know, and I was just like, no more forfeits, please. <laughs> They've just yeah. gone. I just want games to happen. Because yeah. I just want games to happen. I, 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 I cut Rob, my rambling. Rob is still traumatized. Um, actually, Joe, you're still traumatized. You're both traumatized. We need to have, like, a, a safe space for players who've had games forfeited can come and talk. This is not it, by the way. Like, this is not the safe circle for that. <laughs> this is. This is. It's like, what do what do like what do white men in their in their late twenties do when they do they go to therapy when they have problems? No, they do a podcast. That's true. <laughs> so on, yeah, on that optimistic and happy note for the future, <laughs> we end this this episode here and. Uh, 
we'll probably probably looking at maybe two weeks time we'll do the next episode so um yeah wrapping it up um we're your hosts i'm kelly dwyer uh, i'm joe kenahan i'm obi carlo and we'll see you later <laughs>